What a privilege it is to look into the very person and work of Jesus Christ as we look through the Gospel of Mark and we really get to peer into His life as He was here. Into the very heart of His ministry is where we're heading today. Mark is just taking us right in there. This is our third week on Mark. And here it is. um, He is just blasting right on through. And I want to tell you, when you look at Christ, I want you to think of what Jonathan Edwards said so many times. There were two words that he used constantly. One is the sweetness. The sweetness of Christ. And also another one is the excellencies of Christ. Those are two beautiful words. And it would be good for us to think about those as as we pray to Him, as we talk about Him, how sweet He is and how excellent He is. Because we're going to look at that every week that we go through this in the Gospel of Mark of how His life was. And you know what? He knows us. And because He knows us, we know Him. He loves us with the ultimate love and we love Him because He first loved us. And so we get to look into this and as Mark takes it, it's an action-packed gospel and it's just like we move from one stage to another. We, we look at one stage over here and boom, he's at another one. He's just like moving, constantly moving, quickly, immediately. And so we go through some things uh, rather, uh, rather speedily. The stage that we're going to turn our eyes on to today is one stage and it's at Capernaum. As we have marched now from the wilderness, uh, from uh, Judea, we've gone up to uh, the Galilee area where the city of Capernaum is at. And uh, we're very close to where those four fishermen that we left off with last week about the call that Jesus had for those four fishermen. He told them, get out of the boat leave everything, drop your nets, and come with me. And they did. And, uh, of course, uh, James and John, their father was left there at Zebedee in the boat, and uh, the other fishermen, and and they're going... (laughs) They just left. They just left the business. That was their business. A pretty lucrative business. Fishing there it was. They left everything and dropped it. We know uh, before that, we've seen the baptism of Jesus, that coronation, and we saw the temptation that Jesus had out in the wilderness uh, as Satan uh, met Him at His weakest point physically and Jesus defeated Him soundly. Now, does that get you excited to know that Satan has been defeated, folks? He has no control over our lives anymore. He doesn't have to. Yeah, He can tempt us. Yes, yes, He tempts us. And yes, sometimes we succumb to that. But listen, He has no control over us. So, the power has been defeated. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look to see how defeated the enemy is. Mark is going to show us time and time again how Jesus defeats Satan. Of course, the cross is the ultimate. That's where He beat Him. And every week though, as we look into this, we're going to see some amazing things that Jesus does. Supernatural. Defeating Satan and demonic powers that go over any kind of powers and authority that we have here in the world as far as humans are concerned. And as we look at that today, we're going to see him cast out a demon in a spectacular display of awesome power. And he has the power, doesn't he? He has the authority and he's going to show that. He breaks the bondage of Satan. Now, Jesus is king, and he certainly is, isn't he? And he has been baptized, he's coronated, um, and, and, and the way has been made for him. John the Baptist prepared that way. He is the Messiah. Now he comes in uh, as he's in this universe, and all the things of the universe are going to try to come up against him. And he is going to show, Mark is, through this gospel account, He's going to demonstrate and put on display this mighty power of God. We sang that song, The Mighty Power of God. I sing the mighty power of God. Well, this is what this is. And the people are just awed. I mean, amazed. Amazed and awed. Overwhelmed. As soon as holiness and truth shines into the kingdom, into this kingdom of darkness, sin is exposed. Well, what does that do? The demons... The unclean spirits are enraged. And Satan is provoked. 
I mean, this is the place where they've had so much power. The prince of the power of the air. And look at the darkness of what is happening in Galilee, for instance. And Jesus is going to break through the fortresses of demons. Let me tell you, they were controlling this nation. This area it was so dark, especially up in around the area of Capernaum and Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, very much uh, in the darkness. And the Son of God is there, and we're going to see the demons recognize the holiness of Christ. And Jesus just kept advancing fearlessly. Not afraid of the demons. Uh, a bastion of demonic religion, as Stephen Lawson puts it. Lawson said he met the devil head on. And what followed was a clash between light and darkness, between truth and error, between heaven and hell, and between holiness and unholiness. What a clash. What a battle it was. And these demons knew exactly who they were fighting and encountering. You know what? They were really about the only beings who really understood who Jesus was at this time. He's early in His ministry. They understand thoroughly who He is. The Pharisees, religious leaders, did not know. They had no clue. They didn't want to know. The scribes didn't know. The rabbis didn't know. And even the disciples... They're kind of getting an inkling. They're getting a clue, but they really don't know what is this man all about. Who is this man? So uh, the disciples are unsure all the way through the the, the three-year ministry. So people are amazed. The crowd is amazed. The demons are terrified. What's the difference? Well, the demons knew they had reason to be afraid. The thing is, the people were amazed, but they weren't terrified. And I want you to catch the difference there. The demons are not going to be redeemed, but at least they were terrified, and most people are not terrified of Christ. And if they are terrified, they're not in the sense that they're running to Christ then because they have been terrified. When people see the holiness of God, they start understanding who Christ is, and they start understanding how sinful people really are. The holiness of the Son of God. Terrified sinners need to run to the in, in, in fear to Christ for forgiveness and grace, shouldn't they? Should be running to Him. Demons can't do that. They're irredeemable. They're terrified, couldn't be saved. People are amazed, but they don't want to be saved. <laughs> I'll figure that one out. So, as to us, we stand amazed And we fear the holiness of God. The holiness of Christ. Both of those, when you put them together, you have that healthy, reverential awe of God. And that's what we try to do here when we come together, is to have a high view of God and get it higher. We're still too low, folks. We need to keep bringing this up. We need to see God in a higher way. And it will continue to be that way if we're looking at His Word. Do you want to see Him high and lifted up? Do you want to see Him the way that Isaiah saw Him in the temple? I saw him high and lifted up. And he said, I am a man of unclean lips. This is the prophet Isaiah. That's what we want. And yet at the same time, know who we are in Christ. It's a balance. It's a great thing to have that balance. So that's what we're going to look at today. And hopefully that will help us get a little bit loftier view of Jesus Christ. Our title is... What? What's the title? Terrified of the holiness of Christ. Let's uh, let's go into the Word. Let's read this text here. We're starting at verse 21. Chapter 1. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, He entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet. Come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, 
the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed. So they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this text this morning. And we pray that Your Holy Spirit enlightens us about the wonder and awe of our Savior Jesus Christ and that we would have even more respect of Him this morning and also see the beauty and the excellencies, the wonder of our Savior. Amen. Alright, let's get into the amazing teaching. Amazing teaching. How would you have liked to have been in that synagogue that day hearing the preaching of all the ages? Jesus Christ. God on earth preaching to men about the kingdom. Now this is the first time that Mark records the teaching of Jesus. The only thing is we don't have what He said here (laughs) outside of His action. Remember, Mark is a book of action. Matthew will get a lot of the uh, of what he said, and and some of the other gospel writers. Mark just basically reports what he's doing here. Doesn't give us a lot of what he's saying, but it was simply amazing. Now, with Jesus is they. The word they. Now that sounds like improper English. I was trying to figure that out as I said that. With Jesus is they. You'd say, are they? Are they with Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. But in this sense, we're taking that word they and we're saying, why is that there? Well, the they is pointing back. (laughs) Did I get out of that? English majors here? (laughs) Julia, did I get through that okay? (laughs) They are are the, uh, the other disciples that He's chosen, those four, and they're with Him. And this is their hometown area. This is where they live. And so we, we have a, a, a city here that's very important. Very important as it's in Galilee. Significant. It became the headquarters of Jesus. I think that's significant right there. You would think, well, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's from Nazareth. He lived in Nazareth. He grew up there. Uh, he had his business there. Why wouldn't he do it there? Well, you remember, I think it is in Luke 4, you'll see that he preaches the Gospel there and people were amazed and astonished. Then he explained what he was talking about. And uh, the people got so angered that they took him out and wanted to kill him to push him off of a cliff. So I don't think that's a good place to have your headquarters. It's time to go elsewhere. He was not wanted in his own hometown. And you've heard of that phrase. And of course, he used that. He was not welcome in his own hometown. Um, they wanted to kill him. If you look in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, that was very early on. They were already wanting to kill him. Matthew 9, 1 says, Getting into a boat, this is another time, Jesus crossed over the sea, came to His own city. Now, that's not Nazareth. because This is a city that's right there uh, on the shore. This is Capernaum, His own city. If you turn to chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, Sea of Galilee, or the lake. I like to call it the lake because that's really what it is, the lake. It's not a sea. Um, Sure, it seems like it sometimes with the storms that they have on it. And it's a large lake, but uh, anyway... This is, uh, it's not as big as the uh, lakes around like Lake Michigan and such, though. It's not that big. But, and it's not as big as the Lake of the Ozarks. So it's a big lake. 13, 13 uh, miles north and or, or whatever length of it. And uh, it was, well, it could, it, it could get pretty deep. Uh, the Jordan River would be a shallow one. Uh, I don't know what the, the, the depth of this lake would be, but it would be enough to drown in. <laughs> um, and it would be maybe seven miles wide at its uh, biggest. So, you know, that's, that's the idea. One thing we know for sure, it was a great place for fishing. Fishing businesses were there. We've already seen that uh, in what we were talking about last week. There were piers uh, at Capernaum 
that, and multiple piers that went out as much as 100 feet or more. So this place is meant for fishing. A great, great place for that. Another thing is, though, it's a crossroads. It's a crossroads where you have people coming and going from uh, the south to the north. And it was situated as a main road. Very significant. Uh, you have Egypt and you have Mesopotamia. And there we're right in the middle of this. People traveling back and forth that way. It was a military station. You remember the Romans had, had a headquarters there, right there in Capernaum. Uh, people tra- travel through the city, east and west and north and south, and a lot of action, a lot of trade, a lot of travel traffic. It had a customs tax office, as you remember. And you have to rem- uh, think of uh, somebody like Matthew. Uh, so this is a big enough city to know that there are a lot of things happening. And I will tell you that it was a pretty wicked city too. When you have a lot of things going on, a lot of secular people, and this is where you have a lot of secular people, people that are not even Jews. This is an area where many Gentiles, this is the land of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles, remember that? We talked about that last week. Galilee of the Gentiles. Pagans. And that's why you're going to see a lot of demons being cast out in this area, a lot of... uh, Illnesses, all sorts of weird, crazy things going on around there. And this is where he does much of his ministry. It's not so much in the big city of Jerusalem, but it is in the area of Capernaum. Now, I do want to tell you, because they had such preaching and such miraculous things happening in that area, especially in Capernaum, where Jesus lived, everybody in Capernaum knew about Jesus. Let me tell you, they knew about Him the first day He started doing miracles. The whole city was coming to him to get healed and to get demons cast out. (laughs) They certainly knew Jesus in Capernaum. But with those kind of privileges comes great responsibility. The more you know about Jesus Christ and His Word and His truth, did you know that the more you're going to be held responsible. You say, well, if I did that, I shouldn't have known very much. I should have just been saved and then stayed home and then I wouldn't be accountable. Well, here's our conviction this week, folks. You have just heard a little bit more about Jesus today than maybe you knew before. And you're held more responsible for that. But isn't it good? Isn't it good to know God's Word and go deeper into it? so that now we can act upon that, live it out, give it out, whatever we are to do. Um, But look at the responsibility they have. They saw Jesus. They heard Jesus. They saw the miracles. And for the most part, that city did not put their trust in Christ as Jesus as Lord. Do you know that? And look in Matthew chapter 11. This is unbelievable. Matthew 11, verse 23. Of all the preaching and teaching and miracles they experienced. Look at this. Let's pick it up at verse 22. Nevertheless, I say to you, he's talking about Capernaum here, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon. They were cities. Cities that judged in the day of judgment than for you. It's going to be worse for you than Tyre and Sidon. Matter of fact, he'll go one step further than that. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, if they would have had the miracles which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. I would not have destroyed them because they would have responded. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. He says it again. He said it twice. What if you were for Capernaum? I would have been terrified. Because he says, you know about Sodom and Gomorrah? You know that great judgment there? (laughs) You know, it would be more tolerable for them. They've already been judged. You have a day coming up. It's going to be worse than what they have. Wow. Jesus said it. Jesus said this. (laughs) Okay, now, they went into Capernaum. I hope that's enough on Capernaum. 
We'll see more of Capernaum, so if we need to add other things, we will. But that kind of gives us the idea now. We've, we've got the fishermen. Jesus has, has the guys with Him, the disciples, and now they're going into the synagogue. And I have to think that maybe um, James and John and Peter and, and Andrew, as they're going there in that area, you know, Peter lives there. James and John, they're around there. Um, they probably tell the people in the synagogue that this one who, who is amazing, has had tremendous teaching, is here. And Jesus would go to the synagogue. That means on, on the Sabbath, Jesus, the God of all creation, goes into a man-made building where they're teaching the Word of God. Or are supposed to be teaching it. Now I find that rather fascinating. God is going to go to an assembly. In another sense, it's like God is going to church. <laughs> he meets here with us every week, doesn't He? But there He was sitting there, not only sitting there, He's, he's going to teach. He's considered to be kind of like a rabbi. He's respected. And now synagogue, what does it mean? Well, a synagogue, soon together with, a meeting together. It was a place of worship where people assembled. It's, a, it's an assembly. It's an assembly where people meet. Prayers are offered there. Worship is done there. They would sing. They would read. They would teach. Now, you'll not find a synagogue mentioned in the Old Testament because they had the temple. But you remember the temple was destroyed and we know that Babylon destroyed the temple, took off a lot of people, destroyed a lot of people, killed a lot of people, and then took a lot of people back with them into Babylon. Seventy years they were there. They didn't have a temple. They did meet together in certain places and, and the synagogues kind of developed out of that when they would just assemble together. No, no building like they had before and now here they are meeting together. And so as, as time went on, those developed little groups get together and, and they would just kind of talk about God's Word and try to get back what they had. And then they returned to Israel under Nehemiah, if you remember, and they continued to meet in those gatherings. It took quite a while to get that temple up and get it going. There were local assemblies that met in all over Israel. As a matter of fact, even when they finally did get the temple up, there were people scattered all out everywhere, and so a lot of times they would just meet at the synagogues. The law was read there on the Sabbath. It was explained. And during the week, they would have school there, school there for the boys. Uh, it served as a civil court as, all, uh, as, as the main building they would go to. So they would have their, their uh, Sabbath worship. They would have school through the week, they would have civil courts there. Elders would rule. You'd have other leaders there who would be the judges, rulers and elders. So they kept this organized. When the church started, it just took that same kind of pattern the synagogues had where they read the Word, and taught the Word, and prayed and sang songs. And that's kind of how the church developed when they had elders. So a lot of this is biblical and some of it was what they had already been doing. And it was perfectly set up for when Jesus arises on the scene, He just goes to different synagogues and He teaches the Word of God there. Because He is recognized as a great teacher. And very quickly. So quite a model that synagogue was for the church. Commonplace for visitors who were teachers like rabbis, they'd be asked to teach that particular day. Well, we know that Jesus came to save sinners on the cross. We know that, right? But He also came to reveal God to man. This is God on earth and He's revealing Himself to man by the Word of God. That's remarkable. God is revealing visually and even more importantly, they're able to hear and think about what He is, what He's about. So He visited the synagogues on the Sabbath. That's an important place to meet. And i got a feeling He always went. Listen, where God meets and where God's people meet, 
That's where we want to be. You don't have an excuse. We need to meet together because... Not because Dennis says you need to be there. We don't have a legalism thing here. We don't take roles or anything. But you need to be there because God is there. I want to be where God is. God is everywhere. And yes, God can be off at the fishing hole or on the golf course. But you guys know better. (laughs) We don't use those excuses, do we? We want to be with God's people and Him because His presence means more. It's important to meet where God meets His people. Get it? And that's why Jesus went to synagogue. That's one of the reasons. He was he always went to him. What about the teacher? Well, it says he entered the synagogue, began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the who? The scribes. They compare him to the scribes. That's the, those are the guys that taught. And they thought these guys were great. You know, Pharisees and my, the, the elders and the scribes, people just, you know, the people didn't have scrolls and stuff to take home, you know, and it was all there at the synagogue. And that's what they relied upon. They relied upon that reading and teaching of it. That's all they got. Man, we have Bibles and books and. CDs and and internet and the access that we have is incredible and we are held more responsible than they ever were even though Jesus was right in their midst. (laughs) Did you know that? My, the incredible opening that we have to know who Christ is. But He had this authority that is just amazing. In Matthew 7, and we see this over and over and over again, don't we? In Matthew 7, 28 and 29... When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Now, we just use another same thing, isn't it? This was a different instance, and He was teaching parables, as He taught so often. Just open the Word of God up. It's the Gospel, and it is light that comes into darkness. That's not gospel light <laughs> in the sense that, you know, food, you know, you take calories out. But we're talking about light that shines so brightly and pierces in to the darkness. Remember that book, Piercing the Darkness? <laughs> the light of the Word of God comes in and this is tremendous authority. And the emphasis that Mark is putting forth here is not what he preached, but with the power that he had. Fifteen times in this Gospel, we read about Jesus devoting Himself to the ministry of teaching. That's what we gather around for. That is the focus, the very central part of our worship. It's centered around the Word of God. Whether it be in the songs, whether it be in the prayers, whether it be in you know the fellowship and communion, but ultimately it's the preaching of the Word of God. That's what they did in the synagogues. That's what they had did uh, any time that they worshipped. The Word of God was to be expounded on and to pierce in to uh, the sin. Now he's identified twelve times by Mark as the teacher, the Daskalos. His normal approach was to come in to read to teach it, tell them what it meant, and then to apply it. To apply that. To put that into their lives. We just don't want to come here and get it into our heads. We do want that, but it can't stop there. It has to get into action and do it. And so that's what he would do. It was a straightforward ministry. There were no superficial frills. No mindless beating around the bush. He just simply taught the Word of God. He knew it. He had opened the Scriptures. He'd have divine, godly exposition for the holy truth which would be pouring out of His lips. I mean, nothing but the Word of God. That must have been just tremendous. You know what? He was the great expositor. We like expository teaching, don't we? He's it. (laughs) He is it. 
And I am it here for the day. But it is Him who is really the teacher. He is the expositor. The Holy Spirit is the one that should bring this and make it powerful. I can't. I mean, I'm weak. Who am I? I'm just a little little guy up here, you know? But He is the powerful God. And if He can use these lips to help us know a little bit more about Him, well... Whatever it takes, God, you know, and that's how He's chosen the way to do things, you know. That's that's the way He does it. Well, here you get the um, the reaction. They were amazed. It's a great word, isn't it? The people had been in darkness, and now the light. The light is right in their midst. It's just it's just like being in a total dark cave, and all of a sudden somebody turns a switch on, and the light is there. It, he is it. And I want to tell you this word amazed is a very strong word. It's so strong. It literally means to be struck out of yourselves. It's to be struck out of your minds. So we take into our vernacular day and what would that mean to you? To be blown out of our minds. To be blown away. How many times have I used that phrase for a lot of different things? Man, that's blown away by that concert. (laughs) This is literally, I mean, this is a, the blowing away of, of their senses. I mean, they, they, they were shocked. They were awed. I mean, I don't know how you can stretch this out any further. I wish I could. They were overwhelmed. They were astonished with what he has just said. You know, you've seen things. Like, you know, some of the things that Louis Giglio has and come up and go... You know, I mean, awe, shock, you know, of, of the universe. You know, and as he goes further out, he just shows the pictures. You know, and you don't even have to hear a word. You just you just see this, and and then you see where we're really at here on this earth, and then how little we really are. <laughs> what is man that God would even take notice of us? Shot, awe, a powerful flow of truth just came out of his mouth, just flowing out. You know what? This grabbed their attention so much. And the conviction behind what he said was incredible. These people were convicted. I mean, with authority. They've never heard anything like this. First time you heard the Word of God preached. First time you heard the Word of God preached in an expository manner. Did you have the same reaction that I did whenever I heard somebody on the radio? And Actually, in this case, it was a really good friend of mine. God, the name of Jerry, Jerry Van Ham. The first time I heard the Word of God being exposited, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I never heard it talk like that. Carolyn and myself were blown away because we heard somebody just teaching the Word, and I think Penny remembers that because we went up to it was at first Baptist upstairs, and they had some kind of a film going in Genesis, and then he would start teaching Genesis. And I never heard it like that. And he just went verse by verse. And then he came out to my house and brought a Strong's Concordance. I think it was was about that thick, I think. I go, wow. And he gave it to me. Made an impact, folks. I'd never heard anything like this. The Word of God. That's that's what we were looking for and we couldn't get it. We, we were just so hungry. God said, I'll take care of that. Has that ever happened to any of you guys? Let me tell you, that's God working. And He uses uh, His way of being able to bring out His Word. But th- this is Jesus here, folks. <laughs> and so in a perfect way, He brings it out. They're amazed. What seems to me, that's what some of the scribes would say, well, this is what I think. This is what I think it could be. This is what here's what these rabbis say. This is what the Mishnah says. Here are the five views on this topic. Let me give you five views. Oh, I hate that. It is so confusing. It is good to know okay where they're coming from, but you know, I don't like to give people a lot of angles and say, Well, it could be this, you choose this, or if you want this, you can choose this. All of a sudden you're gonna walk out of here and totally confuse and say, What did he do? What did he say? I don't even know what he meant. And I've heard that before and I hate it. They said, just take whatever you want. You know, all these views are right. Well, how can that is what I hear out in the world? <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong. They're all right. 
Five views. A lot of books come out on those. The five views of justification. What about the biblical view? The five views of sanctification. That's right. There are churches that build themselves around what they think sanctification is. Some of them come up with perfection. Those kind of things. Well, the scribes would cry. The scribes would quote. They would say all these things. Yeah, they would. Yeah, with no authority. <laughs> and Jesus comes in and accurately proclaims the word of God. Oh, to hear him one of these days. To hear him the way that it really has to be. I've heard some great teachers in my time. There's some great. You guys have heard them. But I'll tell you what. <laughs> Jesus blows them all away <laughs> with the authority. But you know what? They have the same authority. Uh, as this Word of God, as as far as the Word of God is concerned. He did it in the purest exposition with absolute truth. Nobody had ever heard this in all of mankind's history. So it's how He said it, along with what He said. People are in awe. He spoke in absolute conviction, and I'm sure people were being convicted. People were not used to expository preaching at all. Not this way. What they did was a far cry from the way the Lord taught. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? It's still remembered today. Even liberal people like to bring up the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, if they really knew what it really said. But many, many different sermons that he preached. We we don't have them all in our Scripture here. We don't have all the miracles that he did. Uh, there, I think John said there would not be enough books to be able to, to write them all in, to put them all in. All that he did must have been immense. Now, we uh, started off here with the amazing teaching. Now we go to an interruption. This teaching is so amazing, and all of a sudden somebody interrupts it. Some being interrupts it. What happens here? Verse 23. Just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now, Jesus teaching. And all of a sudden, you hear this crying out of a voice. What would you do if something like that happened? This man in the crowd is demon-possessed. And we're not told if he had ever been here before or if he came there every week. I have to tend to think that he's been there before. This man... Now, there's a man and there's a demon. The demon's possessing him. I tend to think everybody probably knew who this man was. Probably many of them, or most of them, probably knew he was demon-possessed or something was really wrong with this guy. Maybe he never said anything. Maybe the demons didn't have to say anything. Maybe they have done it before. Maybe they just sat back like they do today in, in uh, especially your liberal churches and where the Word of God is not honored, and even in churches where the Word of God is preached because they'd love to destroy that. But they can bring in false teachings, liberal teachings, and not even say a word vocally, but they're working. They're working in there. They have destroyed an immense amount of churches. Demon hears Jesus speaking absolute truth like nobody had heard before. Demon couldn't take anymore. Demon says, I've had enough to himself. He blows his cover. If he's trying to hide out there, he sees Jesus there. He blows up. The authority of Christ and His truth was just way too much for him to listen to. He screams. He cried out. That word means to scream. The fear overcame him. He is witnessing God on earth. This this demon knew who was in there and who was teaching. Guess who showed up at the synagogue? And the demon sees him there and hears him. Maybe the demon thinks he has a pretty good toehold. Maybe pretty good control in this area. They all they all do. 
very satanic-led area. But this is the one they knew from the ages. Ages past. These demons had worshipped the Son of God. There He is now. Demons have been on earth and all of a sudden this one Jesus is there. In their territory. Right in the midst of the crowd in the synagogue this demon shouts out as Jesus the Son of God is teaching. And He is fearful. Have you ever been so scared that you yelled, screamed? Ladies do it more often than guys, but guys can do it. Or somebody steps up on you and didn't expect them to be and they're coming from behind and you jump. <laughs> you know, you're scared out of your wits. Uh, this demon is shuddering. The demons believe and they shudder. Truth is deadly to a demonic operation. They have a great operation going on in this area and in the synagogue. And we have to note that this man is sitting in the house of where? Not the, a house of repute, of ill repute. It's a house of worship. A man sitting there. It's not a drunken party. It's not where all the evil people are supposed to be or a den of thieves. But the demonic side likes to show up in a place that is religious. Matter of fact, that's where they feel the best at. He was in the house of worship on the Sabbath, just where he should be, this man is, and the demons just love to visit where people who are worshiping God or maybe religiously doing their thing, they really like dead religion. They want to make sure that it keeps dying. People are blinded under the dominion of the demons. They don't know that they're in that binding. The demons have a field day in churches on Sundays. Right at this moment, they're just having field days all over the place. Really would. They would love to disrupt, bring false teaching in, just bring in anything that would steer people away from worshiping God. Now, this is a joke, but who knows? It may not be so much a joke, but I was out there shoveling this. And I'm going, what is this thing here for? You know, it's right in the middle of a place to walk. It's never been there before. And all of a sudden, I got to think, well, maybe it has been. My mind is going, wait a minute. I don't remember. it. Well, maybe it was. And then the thing is heavy. And then it has spikes in it. It's totally in the ground. And you're thinking, how did it get that way? And we're thinking, well, the, the tractor must have done that. Well, how did it get set in like that? And then all that snow and ice and it's real heavy and a snow shovel doesn't even do the trick. By the way, there were shovels out there. Thank you. I just now remembered that. Hey, great. Fantastic. I don't even have to worry about that. Now I was going to worry about that. I'm just saying, you know, that's kind of funny that happened. And I'm going, all sorts of different things were kind of going on, you know, you know, and things closing in. I'm going, oh man, what's going on today? This is kind of getting tight. And I'm not even saying that was a demon. I, I can't say that that was. But at the moment, it sure seemed like it was. But then all the guys showed up at the right time, boom, you know, and, and then I just said, okay, hey, thanks a lot. Got to go in. But um, that, a test, if anything, but sometimes you have to wonder. Um, they don't like what we do here. I can tell you, demons, Satan, hates what we do here because we want to be focused on the worship of God and whatever they can do to destroy what we do, they'll, they'll try it. Not that they're, you know, I don't want to get you guys all scared and say, oh, there's a demon under, underneath my chair here. <laughs> you know, don't, don't be flying out of here because of that. But, but I am saying they are real. And yes, they do meet in churches. And yes, they can meet right here. And sometimes, you know, you wander down through the years. There were certain times that, you know, we had people coming in trying to bring in false teaching and stuff, and quite quite the test. And at any any rate, um, I know they, they show up at meetings. You know, just meetings where people are making decisions on how much toilet paper they're gonna buy. <laughs> I mean, some of the worst examples of Christians is whenever they have their 
Wednesday night or Sunday night meetings, I'll tell you, those things were scary. You'd see people of God, and they're they're yelling at each other, and and then you know, I mean, they're not in agreement over some. You know, you've heard the things about the the carpet that's going to be laid, and and you know what what kind of organ they're going to use, and and people are yelling at each other, and I'm going, <laughs> wow, the demons got a hold of that one, didn't they? They love meetings. <laughs> Sometimes you have to have meetings. I know that. Boy, I get scared when we have meetings. <laughs> I just I like to have meetings where we have the Word of God and we can't be scared wrong, but make sure that you have a lot of prayer and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit's there. Uh, unclean spirit. Demon possession. This demon is residing within the man. Demons are evil spirits. They've been cast out of heaven. They'll never be redeemed. We'll never have a chance. Demons can live in a human body, causing that person to be godless, causing that person to have an unclean life. Demons take control of a person. And that's what they do. They control. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one we have residing in us who controls us. Demonic spirits want to control and speak through vocal cords. And at this time, this was happening big time during the uh, ministry of Christ um, and even during the time of the apostles. And it, it was it was huge. Demons are living in there and they would respond when somebody would address them and the man is not speaking, the demons are speaking through those vocal cords. This is what's going on. I'm just not making this up. This is what's going on right here in this text. Demon possession uh, possession has always been around, but at this time, this is when we see it. Demons love to sit in religious surfaces, so so they stand in false religious pulpits, proclaim things that are not true. They put on the garb of spiritual leaders. A man is up there, but there's some kind of different teaching that's coming out. And in Jesus' day, they were exposed with all the wildness, the physical deformity, and convulsive seizures, and torments, and nakedness, and self-mutilation. You go on and on. We see that through the book of Mark here. And uh, they're screaming. They scream in Jesus' presence. They scream. They cry out. Look in Mark 5, verse 2. When he got out of the boat, here's this word, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him and he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice. And there he goes. He says a lot of the same kind of things there that we see in our text. What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. Wow, what a scene that must have been. Well, in our text, back in Mark 1 here, the demon makes use of the man's vocal cords. He screams what he meant. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What is there between you and us? What do we have in common? There's nothing in common between Satan and God or Belial and Christ. Why do you interfere with us? Why are you here? Because we're doing our thing here in this synagogue. Right? Nothing in common at all. They know that. He wants to know why Jesus had come there and invaded their business. What's going on here? What to you, to us, What business do we have here with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Why are you here? Is it now? Is this the judgment? Is this it? They know they're going to be judged. They know that. Demons believe and they shudder. Is this the hour of our final destination? Is this it? Demons seem to respond that way most of the time. So they stood in the presence of the Holy One. 
They know He's holy. He is the Holy One. He is infinite light. He is infinite truth. The demon realizes that he belongs to a totally different world. He knows that. He's exposed. So when he used the word us, I think that's rather incredible. There was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Now that sounds singular. And he cried out saying, what business do we have with each other? Have you come to destroy us? Could be that there's more than one demon in this man. That happens frequently. Or there are more demons in this synagogue. And I tend to think that. And definitely all around Capernaum and all over Galilee, demons are having a field day. Field years. (laughs) That's what's going on, folks. Highly demonic. What do you have to do with us? Multiple. A demon infested area. Have you ever seen a termites infest an area? Doesn't seem like you can ever get rid of them all. How about those other things that crawl at night time? Those roaches. (laughs) They're infested. How can I ever get rid of them? Ants. Well, the demons were like that. Infested that area. Demons know about their coming judgment and the demon cries out, have you come to destroy us? He knew that all demons are going to be judged. He knows that. Look in 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. What purpose? What? What, John? To destroy the works of the devil. Did you know Jesus did that? Ultimately at the cross, but do you know how many He cast out? Well, next week we'll we'll see a little bit of that. Just in one, one little area. Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Amen! We don't have to be fearful of the devil. We have to respect in the sense that they have much more power than we do in our own selves. But in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, we don't have to do anything that they would like to order us to do. We're not under their bondage anymore. That's been broken. Look at Matthew twenty five forty one. Famous verse. You'll know this. This is about judgment. Sheep and goat judgment. Then he'll also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Unbelievers, you're going into the same place. What was prepared for the devil and his angels. Mark 5, verse 7. We read that earlier, didn't we? Um, Do you remember what he said? Do not torment me. They know that torment is coming. The time of judgment. In James 2.19, it says, The demons believe and they shudder. They Listen, they know the holiness of God. They know all about it. They've already been judged in one sense. They, they don't, they'll never be redeemed. They'll never have a, another chance. This is a high confession. In this Mark 1, of what this demon says. What business do we have with each other? Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, Nazareth is kind of disdain, and we talked about that. Nazareth is not a respected town. I don't want to name towns here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, see, I know one that's across the tracks. Osage City. Anybody know you? Okay. That's, now, I'm not saying disdain there, but I'm telling you, a lot of people start making fun of a little Osage City. Now, you know, I'm not saying anything against it. I'm, I'm really not. But 
the New Orleans. Yeah, but Nazareth, nobody even heard about that. It's no big deal. Jesus of Nazareth, a disdainful town, but a lot of times they recognize him. This is the one that he come from Nazareth. <laughs> this is Jesus of Nazareth. You know, and everybody in the synagogue is hearing this. And Jesus doesn't need any publicity. You know, he really doesn't. Down in the boondocks. <laughs> yeah, really. Down in the boondocks. So, Messiah would come from Nazareth. We know that. And he calls him that. He calls him Jesus, Savior. And he comes and says, I know who you are. And we're really getting to the main point here, so I really have to get to this. This is where we're really headed today. The Holy One of God. I want to tell you. He's saying something, and this is from a demon, but he's saying something that's much better than what you would hear in apostate pulpits today. And many of the pulpits who are not preaching the Word of God. He is much more truer than a lot of the preachers are today. When he says, the Holy One of God. He knew what that meant. The foul demon understood that bursting through this very veil of flesh that Jesus is in is the absolute perfection holiness of God in this man. The demon knows this. You think the people know this? No, they're just amazed. (laughs) The demon is frightened. Absolute perfection. He was holy, holy, holy. The angels know that. They all said it at one time. Demons know the Son is holy as the Father is holy. Demons are in the ultimate wickedness. They were thrown out of heaven because they were unholy and know that they faced the holiness of God. Right there, that demon face-to-face is with Him who they know. And they know they're headed for the lake of fire. What makes demons terrified? The authority of the truth comes in and smashes their lies. What is Satan known as? The father of lies. (coughs) Mix in a little truth with lies and people can really be deceived. Christ was deceived Uh, was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. We read that. He knew with all the rest of the demons, that's where they were going. The authority of Jesus' purity, the authority of Jesus' power. He says the Holy One of God. This is the otherness of God. His majestic transcendence, the excellencies, the beauty of Him, completely sinless, perfectly holy, no defects, no blemishes. Every thought, every word, every action by God, by Christ, has always been perfect, always has, always is, always will be. Never been any taint there whatsoever. Perfectly holy. An other that goes beyond us. Entirely unique and infinite in His august superiority and majesty. This is the God we worship. We must see Him that way. He's distinctly set apart. That's holiness. Holiness speaks of His absolute purity. Untainted purity. Sinless perfection. The Holy One of God. A demon says it. And I don't have enough time, but the Holy One of Israel is also found a lot in Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, you see holy, holy, holy. In Isaiah 1, 4, 12, 6, 41, 14, I have them up there somewhere. Isaiah uses that a few times. The Holy One of Israel keeps bringing that out. The demon here leaves no question about the identification of who he is. Deity here. Peter used this title as a confession of Christ in John 6, 66-69. This Holy One of God. This Holy One of, of Israel. And what does Jesus do? Well, He commands that the demon just shut up. There He is. You know, Jesus has been speaking and this demon's trying to get in as much as He can. And He's saying truth, 
But this is very annoying, and Jesus, like I say, doesn't need a publicity party here. He doesn't need any help. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. He knows exactly what's going on. Don't interrupt me when I'm preaching and teaching the Word of God. I don't need your billing for this crowd. I don't need publicity from hell. And the demon wants to stay. The demon knows he's not going to be welcome. He says, come out of here. Whatever Jesus says is going to happen, right? Whatever God has ordained to do, it will happen. He doesn't fail. He doesn't say, oh, I'd like for that to happen. Oops, it's up to him though. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, I wanted him to, but... Oh, I wish that demon would have come out of there. I tried. Demonic convulsions happen. Protest in verse 26. Throwing the man, this demon throws the man into convulsions. And what we're talking about here is sparasso. It means to convulse, to distort, to have a seizure. It is really weird to see this man rolling around. An epileptic seizure. Probably rolling on the ground and shaking uncontrollably. There have been meetings in Canada, in Florida, where people have been stuck to the ground for days and they would uncontrollably have seizures. All of this all of this is in the name of the Lord. Whenever I see it in Scripture, I never see that in the name of the Lord. I always see Satan has arrived. <laughs> Some of those are fake. Some of those are really happening. What they are, why they're doing that is not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit does not do that to people. A rage, a hellish rage was going on. A vicious, violent spirit that didn't leave quietly. What's happening? Threw him into convulsions. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out. Can you imagine this? I got a feeling on my microphone. You guys ready? <laughs> then cry out on that thing. It's probably louder than that. Wow. Shaking uncontrollably. What happens? Well, verse 27. We know the demon comes out of the man. They were all amazed. We've seen that word before. They were amazed at his teachings. Now they're amazed at his action. So that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. I guess he backed up what he said, didn't he? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. What is this? I'm sure some of them were just so totally shocked and awed. He put on a power display they had never seen before. A divine power, authority. He sent the demon right out of this man. And the Messiah is the King. The Messiah is the Savior. This is the same Savior that we have, folks. He is bringing in the Kingdom of God. And one by one, he's breaking down the bondage that Satan has that he possesses. He can destroy Satan and his forces and deliver souls just like that. The king's power is now made visible. That's the way that Mark is reporting. This is very visible. Can you think of anything more visible than to see what you just saw if you were in this crowd? Unmistakable. They're amazed. What is this? This is the buzz that's going around. Do you think everybody in Capernaum heard about this as the day went on? Have you ever heard of that show 24 hours? We are involved in a 24-hour thing here. And from here, he goes to Peter's mother-in-law and and immediately her fever is is taken out of her. And then immediately that evening, after the sun set, everybody from all over the city is gathering at the door. (laughs) And then he goes on. Wow. Where he goes on to the next, I mean, there's too many people there, and he cleanses a leper. 24 hours. A lot of things can happen in 24 hours when Jesus is doing it. They obey him. A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Evidently, this wasn't happening. Nobody was doing this kind of thing. And Jesus just pulls off something that they go. What is? They were just blown out of their minds. I mean, this was it. I mean, nothing like this. They obey Him. And then we close out, verse 28. And, and we have that word again. Are you ready? What is it? Immediately, the news about Him spread everywhere. They didn't need internet. 
<laughs> into all the surrounding district of Galilee. And if they had cell phones, everybody's going like this, you know. <laughs> it gets everywhere. Very quick. People just went, you know, they went bonkers on this. That's just the start. That's just the start. He went all about Galilee, preaching, teaching, and delivering people from all sorts of terrible things. This display was shocking. I can't think of any other words. People didn't believe, though, who he was really claimed to be. They wouldn't be saved. The demons had a fear. The people had amazement. The demons couldn't be saved even though they had the fear. The people had amazement, but they didn't have the fear and they didn't want to be saved. But they sure talked about this story. Just like they talked about the story when He fed the 5,000. That just spread everywhere, but people wanted to follow Him for all the show that He did and the food that He could feed them with. <laughs> we'll just hang around this guy and He'll take care of us. And we don't have to work. We can just go around everywhere and He'll just pop up the food and there it is. And we'll just have a good old time. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'll be the... Uh, there are probably people that wanted to be an agent for Him. You know, and get Him, uh, get him booked in different towns. <laughs> What's necessary is that we must be amazed. Awed. Having a fear of this Christ because He is holy. We have just looked at the holiness of Christ in this text. Are you amazed? Are you in wonder? Are you in awe? Are you also terrified of Him in the, in the proper fear of God with that reverential fear and awe and respect? We should be amazed at such a Savior and terrified that He's going to judge the sinners who have never trusted in Him. That should behoove us to take this same Gospel that He preached and take it to the lost world and terrify them of the holiness of Christ so that they would run to the Savior who can deliver them out of the bondage of sin, Satan, death, and hell. We have a Savior. Amen? Are you amazed at Him? Let's pray.